0: Welcome to Lagrange Point where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science, technology and how they relate to everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia, who are a youth organisation with members aged 15 to 25, whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. On this week's episode, we have Lauren, hello, Camille, yo, and Justin. On today's episode, we'll be talking about all things food-related on our Master Quest Kitchen Chef Challenge of LaGrange Point.
1: Justin's on! Justin's on! Oh, we've got word from the news floor about onions, tear-free onions. <laughs>
0: and salsa that can kill off bacteria. Yeast bring bread to bear artificial vanilla, determining where you come from for the foods that you like and where your food comes from, from the ingredients that make it up with DNA testing.
1: So Justin, I hear you're a big old fan of the old pasta. Well,
0: oh, I do love the tastes of pasta. Well,
2: actually, using the um, type of foods that, that you prefer, we can pick what type, which country you came from. Well, I mean... Is it past the stereotypes of the
1: countries?
2: It's actually moving past the stereotypes of the countries. And past the stereotypes of um, all young children, I mean, they love sugar, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But does that mean that all children like specific types of sugar, the exact same types of sugar? Or did they prefer, like, specific types?
0: Do they also prefer... What
2: has actually happened is um, some researchers, they tested the flavour preferences of more than 1,700 children between the ages of 6 and 8 years old from different European countries such as, like, Sweden, Italy, Germany, and Spain. And what they found was that children from different countries actually prefer different types of sugary sweets.
0: So they prefer the different flavours that they're actually getting from the sugars and the types of food that they're eating. So even in a general category such as lollies or sweets each of the regions have certain tastes that they prefer more than other other regions.
2: And this, and this had been um, influenced by stuff like where you grew up and the type of food you've been ex- exposed to and stuff like that as well. They found that 70% of German children preferred biscuits with added fat compared to 35 children from Cyprus who preferred it without the fat. It's kind of like how the German children preferred, like, plain apple juice, whereas the Swedish and Italian children loved it with, like, added flavours.
0: So I think it's, like, the response that these kids are having is more, they've grown up with all these different foods and these things that they're eating, and that's given them a certain palate, if you will, and this palate responds better to the different flavours and sugars and sweets that they have.
1: Would that explain Australians' like for Vegemite and everyone else else is, like...
0: What, what are you eating? What
1: is this? <laughs> this is death paste. What,
0: what, what, in our, what in our culture and cuisine has given us <laughs> a taste for yeast <laughs> extract aside from beer, which I'm assuming we don't feed to kids.
2: Really? I mean, is, mm. could that be why some Australian children like Vegemite? I mean, we're given alcohol when we're young. Maybe
0: it's the other way around. Maybe it's the fact that we eat all this Vegemite. That That's... means that we love beer Mm -hmm. because they're the similar taste i so that could be um maybe it's also the breads that we eat that yeast culture that type of yeast culture is also similar in the foods that we have
2: and this actually helps with um advertising for different countries and stuff so if you're trying to um
0: target the uh the cyprus cyprus market don't target them with biscuits with fat
2: (laughs) no target them with biscuits without and you're more likely to be able to sell it than for example a country like germany but i wonder if
0: that really pans out in australia Um, If you have different regional variations of taste, uh, I'd imagine that if you go further north, you actually have more stronger flavours that are towards fresh fruit, where in the south, or certain types of fresh fruit that would grow in tropical areas, like bananas, pineapples, and all of that, in Queensland.
1: That was something I noticed on. uh my kitchen rules, actually. Oh, like really? the The Queensland teams always like loved cooking with mangoes and all these like, tropical-y flavours. That's the kind of thing they went with, whereas you had people from Tasmania focusing more on their fish.
0: I reckon even in Australia, if you did a similar study, you'd definitely pick up some regional variations.
2: It's kind of unfortunate that, the, that this study's only been done in Europe, because if you spread it out more into, for example, like Asia and Australia, I think you'd have some really good results from that.
0: And I I, I, I imagine, especially in subsections of cities, you'd also get great results. So this is an excellent challenge and a thesis research topic for anyone who's interested in chemistry, food, food and um, sociology would have a great way of studying this. There's a topic. You're welcome. So that story was a quick summary about uh, how our tastes can help identify where we're from. Now, Lauren, I know you just love spicy foods.
1: I actually hate spicy foods I like no that's a lie I don't like <laughs> spicy foods either
0: both of you guys are at greater risk from having salmonella poisoning oh, what, <laughs> what they've found <laughs> no. you know, researchers um, gonna... chemists at the University of California in Berkeley have actually found that some of the juices in salsa uh, actually help kill off the bacteria and result in salmonella. But if effectively, the salsa the salsa mix they were using, specifically cilantro, which is one of the ingredients in salsas, along with, you know, chilies, onions, tomatoes, and so on, the cilantro, the fresh cilantro itself, actually releases a chemical called dodecinol. And this dodecinol and the cilantro itself are actually incredibly potent at killing salmonella bacteria. Salmonella, which gives you food poisoning, uh, makes you throw up is basically resulting of a of a of a compound called Salmonella cl- cholerosis which is a compound messes with our digestive systems and makes us very ill. If you expose uh, Salmonella cholerosis to cilantro and s- refine cilantro's chemicals, which results in a chemical called de- um, docetinol, basically some of the ingredients in salsa, if you put them onto this bacteria of um, Salmonella, It'll the bacteria melt. of the salmonella, salmonella dies more than if you actually apply medicine designed to kill the salmonella particles. Oh my Salsa is more effective at killing <laughs> salmonella bacteria than the normal drug for so treating I, salmonella.
2: It can kill just more than your taste buds.
0: That's right. It's really dangerous for salmonella, but great for our health. Uh, but it's not that it is not like going to make you perfectly immune. It's just very much more effective than our drugs. It explains why people in Mexico, residents of Mexico, don't get salmonella poisoning but visitors often do it's because they don't have the salsa that builds up their immunity in their systems all the time so they can eat it and get away with it fine because their bodies already have this cilantro compound in them from the ingestion of this salsa so that they have a natural immunity to it
1: would the really hot ones be more effective
0: i'm not sure because the hotness might have more to do with the chili than the cilantro The big key here is the cilantro itself. That's the ingredient in the salsa that you want a lot of. If you have a high cilantro content salsa, then your salsa is going to be a good bacteria killer. Otherwise, it's just going to kill your taste buds. So this is a cool application of food chemistry to helping fight illness in a really ingenious way. So we were talking about Vegemite before and how Australians love their Vegemite (laughs) and how it's a yeast extract. Um, But Camille, do you like vanilla?
1: I do like the flavour of vanilla, actually.
0: Would you think that vanilla has a lot in common with Vegemite and bread?
1: No, I do not put two and two together usually.
0: Okay, well, unfortunately, (laughs) what they've designed is a new yeast. Uh, Yeast is basically a living culture that we use to help make our bread rise. It's in our Vegemite. But they're actually also getting it now to create vanilla flavouring. So instead of growing it on beans, they're getting yeast itself just to naturally produce vanilla flavour.
2: So will I now be um, putting yeast into my cupcakes?
0: Sometimes you can add uh, yeast to make things rise, but now not only will it make it rise and make things grow, um, it will also give it a flavouring, which is really cool. And what's most interesting about this is they've basically trained, um, they've basically made the the yeast convert glucose into vanilla essence or vanillin which is incredible. So it's naturally turning sugar glucose into vanilla flavoring.
1: That's excellent.
0: Yes. So, this is really cool and imagine if you could do this with other flavors other chemicals. we'd actually get yeasts to grow flavors that are really hard to produce.
1: Like Vegemite flavor. <laughs> That's
0: getting a bit Inception-y there. <laughs> but other flavors like um um some berries Flavours like strawberries, different types of fruits, as well as I'd probably imagine things like possibly even flavours like chilli, which would be crazy. Oh, my my gosh. So this is a really interesting application of food science, food chemistry, and also genetic engineering being done out of the university in Iowa, in Iowa City. Maybe you could grow yeast to produce um, cilantro, and then you could have (laughs) yeast that grows bacteria-killing, even though yeast is a bacteria. So then you get you get a bacteria that grows (laughs) bacteria-killing things to kill salmonella, and you wouldn't have to worry about being sick. This is really cool. And so this is a nice application of food chemistry that ties in with some of the other stories we've been talking about. So we're just talking about testing where we're from by the foods we like, but what about testing where our food's from? How do you actually tell if your banana or your banana cake is actually from where you think it is? How do you tell if your meatballs from a certain brand-name store... (laughs) actually has meat in it and not, say, horse meat.
1: As we know, all food we have is made the same DNA as what it's made up of, like all the different animals and plants that go into it. So what scientists at the Institute of Molecular Genetics Genetic security research and consulting at Johannes Gutenberg University Mainz have developed a novel screening procedure that provides for highly sensitive, quantifiable analysis of animal, plant, and microbial substances
2: present in food. So this basically tells you what's there in your food instead of just reading the back of like a packet where it tells you what it is. This is basically what can do that. What
0: what this is actually going to the DNA?
1: Very (laughs) fine, like it will give you like almost exact amounts of whatever is in your food, like...
0: But not just the, what what is in your food, but the DNA of what's in your food. So I can go yeah.
2: find the cow that this was, like, the meat was taken from?
0: Well, basically, but also mm-hmm. because you can say this is made up of 50% banana on the packet, but or like what kind, of, of, banana? <laughs> what kind of banana? What kind of banana?
1: Yeah, because you can get your lady fingers. <laughs> you can get,
0: like, one high-quality nice banana, and the rest is just banana pulp from miscellaneous <laughs> banana sauce.
1: Yum. Right, so it's pretty much, like they've adapted the usual techniques of DNA sequencing, which is used in, like, human genetics to unravel genetic... Uh, our genomes. Yeah, yeah our genomes. Human
2: genome project. Yeah, awesome. that
1: kind of thing, right? They're using that to look at food now. So... Why would we want to analyse
0: what's in our food?
1: So, we've all heard about the horse meat found so in some
0: products.
2: So, what, there was horse meat found in products? Um.
0: Sorry. The issue isn't so much that people were eating horse. The issue is that horse meat itself ended up into other products where it shouldn't have been, like meat pies, other meat steaks and mints, where it was labelled as beef, but in fact contained some Oops. horse meat. Could
2: it be called like a black caviar
0: meat pie? I, basically.
2: Black
0: caviar? <laughs> <laughs> no, it would be black caviar. Caviar's horse <laughs> caviar's species. Wait, a not horse. horse if you see
2: <laughs> if you see some caviar
0: that contains like chunks of meat in it <laughs> chances are it's Mal from black caviar um, so, yes, basically. <laughs> so the problem here was that things were ending up into what what they weren't supposed to be. And I'm
2: using this for to make
0: sure what we're eating is 100% what they're telling us we're eating.
2: Yeah, like,
1: um, food inspection experts are really interested in this to, like, in efforts to, like, promote the mo- molecular traceability of food. Cause you can also
0: trace bacteria cultures and bacteria um, microbial life in there as well, which yeah. also makes really interesting for tracing the consumption patterns and behaviours and spreads of certain types of food and fruits and like really fine-level foodstuffs. So when they're tracing things like E. coli outbreaks, that can happen through packaged lettuce and so on, mm-hmm. they can actually trace, well, we know that the people who we, we tested this with, they had lettuce that had these markers in it. So they knew the DNA markers, they know where it's from, they can actually trace it and find other products with the same markers. So when there's an outbreak, they can trace back and figure out where that contamination has occurred by looking at its fingerprint.
1: You can tell exactly how much from this DNA testing.
2: So it... Could this be considered, you know, like a forensic scientist type thing where they're tracing it back to the, to the original source? They're finding the murderer. But the real question is, will they have jackets with, like, cool
0: names on the back of it? And a theme song by The Who. I yep. think that's the important yeah. part of the question here. Well, that's a really interesting way where we can use forensic investigation of our meat to actually determine, or not just our meat, our food, and determine where our food comes from and who it is justin son. Yes, what is it, Camille?
1: How is the onion chopping coming in the
0: kitchen? Well, it's very difficult. I'm crying so much from all these tears. I have to sort of try and make my uh, Iron Chef dinner.
1: Have you ever thought about using an onion that contains no
0: tears? <laughs> but the how is such a thing possible? <laughs>
1: well, it's very exciting, but researchers have discovered that there's an enzyme that the onion uses specifically to create the...
0: The irritant t- that makes The you irritant. Cry. So it's a by-product of onions, flavor compounds, and sulfur that's sort of being released in the onion. That's why, you know, if you have goggles or if you have running water, it can help alleviate it. But you still have to alleviate the problem. That's really, really dealing with the the side effects, not the actual problem itself. So
1: usually if you kind of, to genetically engineer... Onion, so that it lap, lacks lap, the, the, enzyme. The, the yeah, it's a specific enzyme that causes the gas to be released. Mm-hmm. So before this like discovery, if you were to genetically modify an onion, you would also lose the flavor. But which is
0: terrible. Yeah,
1: be- what's the point of having a bland onion? You know, yeah. It's there to add To the texture. That.
0: It's basically celery. At that but point.
1: The, what they found is this enzyme doesn't contribute to the onion flavors. It's purely. Purely there is an irritant. The irritant. Purely an irritant.
0: So, there, so there's researchers at um, at the House Foods Corp in Shiba, Japan, have actually isolated the enzyme and proved that the enzyme's sole purpose is to be an irritant to the eyes, not to have anything to do with the flavour. Yeah,
1: and it was only by accident when they tried to produce propanthyl S-oxide with precursor compounds from an onion.
0: That they realised that this, this enzyme was actually useless.
1: And yeah, the preparation of the enzyme derived from yeah. the garlics um, so
0: which
2: one of us in the group's the enzyme that's just making other people irritated and, and crying, crying?
1: Mm. they worked on this through that onions and garlics are very similar but when you chop garlic you, you do don't not, cry you don't cry like a bucket of tears like i did the other night when i was making my curry Yep. but
0: <laughs> so basically they've since they determined that it, the enzyme isn't present in garlic but it is present in onion yeah that they can remove it safely from onion without compromising the flavour. Yeah, that's that's really cool.
1: Exactly. So um, now they can modify this onion so that when we chop it up to add delicious flavour to our food, we don't have to cry or we'll try and put sunglasses on during the night time <laughs> just so I can get some delicious onion.
0: Well, that's really great news in an application of food science and basically understanding the the molecules and their makeup of the onions themselves to help us learn new things about them and modify them to make our lives easier. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We've talked about a variety of stories, helping ourselves save us from crying, refining bacteria killing organisms in salsa, and also refining bacteria breeding vanilla, uh, as well as looking at where our taste come from and where our food comes from. Our ending theme was proposed by Audio Natics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information on the Young Scientists of Australia.